Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pride of Olympus. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus. Pride of Olympus is our Merkaba, our sun chariot, our celestial barge, the wheels-within-wheels shamanic vehicle that facilitates our journey to the astral realms of Gaia's world tree. Pride of Olympus is our metaphorical vehicle for exploring various thematically related but seemingly different approaches concerned with explaining our human origins, guiding our human development, and actualizing our maximal potential. Pride of Olympus supports all of humanity's efforts to transcend this world and venture forth into the great beyond, be they metaphysical, mechanical, or even imaginal. And like all astral conveyances, the Pride of Olympus can and does assume many forms, including that of a podcast. Tonight, I am greatly honored to announce a new show, Growing in Christ Consciousness, with Donna D'Angelo. And without further ado, I will hand over to her the reins to her new show. Greetings and welcome, Donna. Thank you, Hercules. I'm very happy to be here with you and your listening audience. And I hope um, the, the show is uh, productive and informative for, for people. Um, since this is the first show, um, I'd just like to introduce myself. I will be speaking primarily um, uh, by my, on my own. Um, in future shows, I will have guests. And okay. we'll also have a question and answer format. My social media manager, Stephanie, will be monitoring our Facebook page for questions. So if anyone in the listening audience has questions, you can go to Facebook and um, put in forward slash Institute Christ Consciousness 
and relay your question there, and Stephanie will email them to me, and, on, and I'll be happy to answer them. Awesome. So, very good. So, to get started, um, this is a new show called Growing in Christ Consciousness, and the theme of this show will be to explore how we develop our higher spiritual and creative potential as humans. By way of introduction, um, my name is Donna D'Angelo, and I am the founder and the director of the Institute of Christ Consciousness. We are a spiritual and healing ministry. Uh, I'm located in Delray Beach, Florida, but we do have an international outreach because most of the information that we uh, provide is on our website at institutechristconsciousness.org. And we also provide healing sessions for people who are in need uh, and need a hand, a helping hand for their spiritual transformation or other levels of, of healing, even including physical healing. I encourage uh, anyone who is new to uh, the show and to the Institute of Christ Consciousness to check out what we have to offer. There's a wealth of information, and we have a variety of services and materials to support you on your spiritual path. So with that being said, uh, I'd just like to give you all a brief um, overview of my background. I've feel like I've been on a spiritual journey all my life, and I was raised in a very traditional Christian church, but it didn't satisfy my spiritual curiosity, and when I was in my early 20s, I was introduced to a marvelous, huge, revelatory text called the Urantia Book that just seemed to clear out a lot of the cobwebs in my thinking about who and what God is, uh, the nature of reality, the nature of creation, uh, our place, our planet's place, and the whole creative scheme of life. And in particular, what is the purpose and destiny of human life? And when I first read that book, it, it really just resonated such strong truth bells uh, in me that uh, I went into a lifelong study of this wonderful uh, book. And then it was in the early 90s when I started to seriously practice meditation. I started to make uh, contact with unseen helpers, uh, angels and other spirit personalities, who are here to support our spiritual development because we are truly in a human and spiritual collaboration to evolve our planet to higher consciousness. So uh, in the early 90s, after I started meditating, I began to sense that my true purpose was here to help this world heal uh, of its ills of war and greed and self-centeredness and to bring in more of the ways of love and light and life. And uh, I started the Center for Christ Consciousness in 2002, 
which was designed to help people open up to their spiritual potential. And that morphed into the Institute of Christ Consciousness, which is the organization now, uh, in 2019, when I started receiving information from my spirit helpers about implementing this concept of Christ consciousness on a more collective or global scale. So you can read a little bit more about my uh, background and history on the website, but I just wanted to give everyone a, a, a very brief, because we only have a, a, a brief uh, 40 minutes to, uh, for the show. So now I'd like to just kind of go into a little bit of the perspective of what I perceive as what is Christ consciousness. Uh, the term Christ consciousness is really there to denote the quality of our consciousness that touches on the sublime level of the divine, wherein we are acting uh, very much in a godlike manner. Our attitude toward life is very loving, a very compassionate. We exude the fruits of the spirit of patience and tolerance, courage, faith, non-judgment, fairness, compassion, and peace in all that we think, do, and say. And it's really a very lofty goal to reach. Now, the term Christ consciousness, in in the way that I am using it in the ministry, is not necessarily connoted to um, evoke uh, a belief in the Christian theology. Uh, I relate to Christ consciousness more in a very broad, general way that we have the ability to develop our consciousness and our creative spiritual potential to reach these higher states of God-likeness where we are uh, actually living a lives of great manifestation in divine love and will. I have written about what is Christ consciousness on the website is on the home page. And if you're interested in, in looking at that, that's available to explore. Um, I believe we are in a time now of great spiritual awakening and that the purpose for human life is to awaken or to to come into a greater appreciation of the spiritual nature of our human existence. And just as we have a physical body that functions in a certain way, we have a circulatory system, we have a respiratory system, uh, and the other systems of the body, We also have a spiritual system. And just as we need food and air and water to nourish our bodies, we have a spiritual component to our human nature, that being our souls, and we need spiritual energy to nurture our souls in order for us to evolve to higher levels of consciousness wherein we can demonstrate those wonderful fruits in our 
activities throughout the day. Now, the quality of spiritual energy is really dependent on how much effort we want to put into receiving that energy that comes from a loving divine creator source. And I believe we are in a time right now where we are redefining who and what God is. And there's many ways to address this huge concept of deity. But if you look at it from the standpoint that we do have a divine source, that source is approachable. You might even call it personable, that we can receive love. And that love is not only something that our divine source provides to us, actually a living energy that we need for the development of our souls, for our morality, for uh, our happiness, for our peace of mind. And it has been extremely challenging in our planetary culture to develop this dynamic relationship because we have a lot of things that take us away from going within and making contact with that spiritual essence that is innate within us. I'd like to talk a little bit now about the uh, concept of going within to quiet the mind, still the body, and just receive that loving embrace from our divine creator source. Because I'm talking from my own experience, that was what was so helpful to me and really beginning to feel that I was worthy of love. And that love started to erase all those feelings of unworthiness that I was experiencing. Even though uh, I knew intellectually that God loved me, I did not necessarily feel that within my emotions. And when I started to quiet my mind and make contact with that divine inner voice, my soul was fed. And that changed everything for me. And that basically started me out on this path to act as a healing facilitator to help other people open and awaken to the power of spirit within. I believe our culture, especially in our American culture, has so many outside uh, influences that interfere with the perception of the divine inner voice. We are constantly being bombarded with external uh, influences, media, television, work, family life. And this can take us away from those feelings of peace, love, security, and safety, which are core fundamental human needs for the development of a strong and healthy character. And in this development of growing in Christ consciousness, it's turning away from that external 
noise and uh, chaotic uh, interference from our culture and finding that place of inner quiet, sitting in a place where you have an intention to make contact with that divine inner voice. And it does take time to develop that. One of the things we developed at the Institute and the Center for Christ Consciousness was a very simple seven-step process called the Seven Steps of Stillness. And I do have a CD and a uh, MP3 called Come Into the Stillness, which trains the mind to be quiet, to focus inwardly, to perceive the divine inner voice. And this is a challenge of our time in growing in Christ consciousness because we're turning away from what our culture is telling us or what our culture is valuing for us, and we're taking the reins back and saying, well, I'm not so sure I buy into all what my culture is teaching us. I think there must be a better way. And when you go within, and even though it can be challenging at first, something begins to happen that your mental chatter quiets and all of a sudden that inner divine voice can start reaching down from the higher levels of the mind and inlay loving feelings and insightful thoughts and concepts for consideration so we can make better choices and feel that we are getting more of that internal support. I believe that this is the distinction between personal religion and socialized or institutional religion. And the approach that we take at the ICC, we are here to support you as you learn to go within and trust in that divine inner voice and learn to turn off the mental chatter that's tied to the voice of the culture that's trying to always get you to be doing something and being productive to get to a state of just being where you can be more relaxed in your thoughts and your physical body and just kind of get that divine inner hug. We are here to support you how you develop spiritually and what you believe about what you think or what you may conceive of God. That's up to you because your inner spirit knows you and knows how to guide you into the insights and concepts that will be the most edifying and spiritually rewarding for your life. In the approach to institutionalized religion, there are many dogmas and theologies and concepts that are being taught to a person, usually by a priest or a rabbi, And that is more of the uh, collective approach to religion. We do not um, deter a person away from that because that does have value. It is very important to study the religious and spiritual concepts and tenets of many, many religions. But when we open up to this inner door, we're also including a personal approach to our religious uh, um, 
dynamic in our spiritual growth. And, and this is very, very helpful because now we're taking the reins back and we are exploring certain things that our spirit wants us to know about. So I'm just going to stop here and pose a question to our social uh, media manager, Stephanie, and see, are there any questions that anyone has at this point? I'm just going to take a, like a 10 second breather to get my email and see if anything's coming through. Please, if you have any questions, go to our Facebook page, uh, in, forward slash Institute Christ Consciousness, and you can submit your questions there. So one of the other things that we provide in terms of services at the Institute of Christ Consciousness to help with this growth into this higher level of consciousness and spiritual and creative potential is that we provide healing facilitation to help you release the subconscious influences that act as kind of like stuck records or tapes uh, in, in the mind that take you away from feeling worthful, worthy, loved, important, and validated. And this is very, very helpful because there are a lot of things that we might consider to be in our blind spots. Uh, things that are in our lower levels of mind that have not been consciously focusing or coming up to the surface of our waking thoughts, but yet they act as drivers. And sometimes we do things and we really don't know why we're doing them. It's just that we feel that's something that we need to do. Well, in my exploration in doing um, the healing work, uh, I started to understand this dynamic of the subconscious mind a number of years ago when I was doing hands-on healing and working with individuals to clear their energy fields. And when I was getting feedback uh, from the energy field, a lot of the information was coming up from what I came to understand were ancestral memories or what is now termed the science of epigenetics when memories are carried forth on the epigene portion of the gene strand that act as drivers for our thoughts and our feelings and behaviors. So this is a very important component of the developing the higher levels of consciousness because we really want to move beyond the subconscious influences into the higher levels of mind so that the spirit within and that soul can get the nurturing it needs. Now, I'd like to just talk a little bit about the nature of the spirit within, because in our spiritual system, if you will, 
there are influences that orchestrate our spiritual nature. And it is important for each person to make that decision whether or not to open that door to your own indwelling spirit. This is, like I said in uh, a little bit earlier, is the inner approach, spirituality, or the more personal approach as opposed to the organized or socialized uh, religion, religious approach. So when you, you go within, and one of the things that we do in the healing uh, facilitation is make contact with the spirit because your spirit knows you and knows what you need to do to develop your inner creative and spiritual potential. And we hold the space for feedback, feedback from your spirit, feedback from your energy system to see what those blocks are and to help you gently overcome them by an infusion of divine love and light that erases or seems to recode an experience or a memory or a habit pattern that has been unhealthy or unloving or painful. Now, this is a process, and it does take time for the spirit to kind of go through your memories and and help you overcome what has held you back. So these are, this is another, some, uh, one of the things that we provide at the Institute of Christ Consciousness. Now, on our website, there are several links that I'd like to direct you to. One of them is the Living Christ Consciousness link on the homepage. And I've written a whole lot of information uh, on that page about the healing process, about planetary transformation, um, the nature of deity, who and what God is, to just help orient a person to the spiritual nature within. Uh, I've written about the process of stillness. And there's just a whole lot of information to peruse if you feel that those pages are calling to you. Uh, also talk about the generational healing we provide and how we at the ICC facilitate healing your system of consciousness. We have a link uh, under resources, and that's where we have our books and recordings. And the um, Come Into Stillness MP3 or CD is located on the books and recordings page under the resources tab, and that's available for purchase. We also have some books. One of the books I've written is called Teach Us to Love, and that basically talks about developing the relationship, the indwelling spirit, and some of the spiritual practices to cultivate on a daily basis that will also facilitate your growth into the higher levels of consciousness that we term as Christ Consciousness. We also provide free healing calls twice a month, and that's under our calendar of events. Um, We also have some informational videos that we've provided 
to orient you to this vast inner realm of Christ consciousness. And so there's just a whole lot of um, uh, information on there under the different tabs to look. So um, I've got uh, the question about the stillness MP3, and I hope I answered that. That's under the resources page under books and recordings and scroll down to come into the stillness. And then I have another question. What is the nature of the indwelling spirit? Is it my subconscious? And how do I know if I am communicating with the spirit? Well, that's a very good question. Um, The spirit is a gift from our creator to act as what you might call a thought adjuster and a feeling adjuster to help us perceive more from the deity source of all love, light, and life. The indwelling spirit resides in a bandwidth of our consciousness. It's not the subconscious. It's at the other end of the spectrum. It's at the superconscious level. It still is what you might call an unconscious level, but we can cultivate that because the more we quiet our minds and ask for that spirit to reach down through the layers of our consciousness bandwidth, that spirit can relay a thought or a feeling or a concept to our conscious mind but it is not the subconscious because the subconscious is where I would say we hold more of our um, painful emotions and experiences the superconscious is there to support the receptivity of our conscious mind with our spirit mind so it's in a different bandwidth and now as we explore this realm of consciousness we are beginning to understand that our our minds have a lot of what we call bandwidth. Uh, some of it is conscious, some of it is not. And the super conscious level is where the spirit resides and is wanting to make contact with you. So the other part of this question, which is actually a very pivotal question, how do I know if I'm communicating with this spirit? Well, this is the big question everybody wants to know. <laughs> and the the uh, approach that I take is that sometimes at first it's it's difficult to know if you are hearing the divine inner voice. And that's why a daily practice of quieting your mind is so important because now it's getting that mental machine that mental chatter, that rampant train running down the track <laughs> to, to stop and, and quiet so that that voice can start to be, be perceived. Now, one of the ways you'll know that you're communicating with spirit is if you begin to feel more peaceful or loving throughout the day. Or if you notice that you have a thought that comes in kind of from left field, like your mind was thinking a thought and then all of a sudden this completely unrelated thought comes in, but it seems to be an uplifting thought or an answer to a question that you've been ruminating on. These are some of the ways that the spirit reaches in. But it's very unique to each person because each person is unique 
and each person has a spirit that is customized for you. So it's one of those things to play with, um, to uh, have fun with, you know, to, to spend time in that quiet state where you're saying, okay, spirit, if you're there, I need to know. I have a right to know. I deserve to be loved. I deserve to be supported by spiritual help in my life. And I want to know if you're there. And then just sit and relax and breathe. I encourage people to have a centering point, like focusing on your heart center or listening to music, something to quiet the mental chatter so that inner voice can start being perceived. And I'll tell you, you know, when I first started meditating, I had a hard time quieting my mental machine. But as I kept doing it, uh, especially consistently daily for roughly 20 minutes to 30 minutes each day, I did indeed begin, begin to feel more loved inside. And I started to pick up on information and then there would be thoughts kind of running in my mind that were of a higher nature. And, and so if it happened to me, I think that this is something that happens to uh, many people, and I've communicated with other people who are on a spiritual path and are meditating, and these are some of the ways that they've also said that they receive uh, the guidance or the information. But it is a matter of practice because now you're tuning your mind to those higher frequencies of spirit. So be patient with it and um, know that you may be frustrated at first. I certainly was. And there were times uh, when I would come home and meditate from work and I just couldn't get quiet. I couldn't um, relax and I just said, okay, forget it. I'm not going to do it today. And then I try again the next day and the next day was better. So it's just keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. Perseverance, persistence and patience does pay off and we have to remember that we live in a culture that gives us immediate gratification and this takes a little bit more effort so if you expect immediate gratification from this I highly encourage you to put that aside because that can be very discouraging and make you stop altogether and I will just speak from experience that even though I was very interested in spiritual growth and my study of the Arantia text was very edifying to me, my behavior in becoming more loving, more patient, more tolerant with myself and others did not change until I started this practice of communicating with my spirit because my spirit fed me and gave me what I needed and helped me relax and become a much better person. And I know that this will happen to anyone who starts on this path of growing in Christ consciousness. Thank you, Donna. That was awesome. Uh, great and uh, very thoughtful and full introduction to uh, growing in Christ uh, consciousness. I know that you shared your contact information uh, but if you would kindly do so again, I'm sure many people would appreciate it. I connected to both your Facebook uh, page uh, and uh, your 
um, Facebook organization page as well as your website on the description for today's show. So folks can uh, click through there. But for the folks who are not on Facebook, if you could share it again, that would be awesome. Certainly. The uh, website is called institutechristconsciousness.org. And there is a contact button if anyone is interested in um, uh, contacting me. I'm always delighted to meet people on a spiritual path. Uh, The other thing I'd like to mention is uh, one of my spiritual colleagues, Leon Vanderpoel, who is a spiritual transformation life coach, he and I put together a 10-week online course called Journey into Your Higher Self and Purpose. And that is a very easy-to-follow 10-week lesson to help you develop your inner spiritual uh, perception, excuse me, so that you can begin to feel what your spirit is telling you about who you are, what your purpose is, for your human life and what is your true uh, nature as as a human. It's very uh, uplifting and edifying, and that's called journeyintohigherself.com. But there is a link on the homepage to that course. And I do recommend for people who are on a spiritual path to explore that webpage because there's a lot of information and it will give you a really good idea of that, uh, the curriculum that we're promoting that will help you uh, on your path to growing in Christ consciousness. Okay, so, thank you very uh, much, Donna. Thank you, Hercules, for hosting, and um, I am so grateful for the opportunity. And we will do this show again in March on the fourth Thursday of the month. Yes, yes. So thank you. Thank you okay, very I much. Look, and thank you to I everyone listening. To and, and, and much love to everyone. Okay, we're going to take a very now. quick break. We're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Antler Crown and Standing Stone. And then we'll be back with the legendary Nick Curdo and his show, The Urantia Book. <laughs> Within the leaf, I'm the voice within the tree. I am boy, I am man, the face of the changing man, and I have been your constant guide from your caves on the mountainside. We have walked hand in
Today, his guest is David Glass. Greetings and welcome, Nick. How are you? Well, thank you very much, Hercules. I am I am good, and uh, certainly it's always a pleasure to be with you. You certainly are thank you. Uh, extended family to me, for sure. And uh, looking you. forward to this uh, program with my guest tonight. The oh, can you hear me? <laughs> uh, okay, David, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. Hi, Nick. Oh, and hello, hello David. Hi. Yes. Oh, I'm so happy that you're here with us, and uh, we'll start the program. Uh, again, this is uh, Nick Curto Presents the Urantia Book, uh, a live podcast. I'm Nick Curto, your host, and a very brief background about me. Uh, I now live in Manhattan, and I have been here for a good part of my life. I was born and raised in New England, uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, to be precise. I went to the Massachusetts College of Art and Design in Boston, was president of the Newman Club, and the Drama Club. And after graduation uh, with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, I headed directly to New York City to begin my advertising design career. And also, and this is important, to continue to explore my ongoing deep spiritual search, as well as other big questions about life that we all have and want to have answered. Now, I first heard of the Urantia book while attending the All Souls Unitarian Church in Manhattan's Upper East Side, and quickly found a wonderful study group uh, in Soho uh, area, hosted by Robin and Helene Jorgensen, two wonderful, wonderful people, and that was in 1989. Now, I've been reading and studying the Rancher book now for approximately 31 years, and trust me, it doesn't seem possible <laughs> it's been that long, but it has. Uh, it has been an expansive, breathtaking experience to explore this awesome, wonderfully, beautifully loving book. Uh, now, the word Urantia, and I'm going to spell it for our listeners, U-R-A-N-T-I-A, means our planet Earth. I'm a longtime member of the Urantia Society of Greater New York, made up of UB readers from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and I've been their past president, vice president, and outreach chair and now serve on the Outreach Committee itself. Uh, I now host a Urantia book study group here in Manhattan in the West Village, and that is sponsored by the Urantia Society of Greater New York. Now, that meets the first and third Sundays of each month, and that goes throughout the entire year. Uh, we go from 1 to 2 o'clock at the center on West 13th Street. Uh, the uh, study group is free of charge and open to all. You all are more than welcome. And we read uh, the book and stop to discuss what we've been reading. And it's uh, been an amazing journey for all of us. And we have uh, new readers as well as long-time readers as part of the group. And it's an incredibly rewarding experience on many, many levels. Again, everyone is welcome to join us. And please, if you'd like to come and you want further details, I'd be more than happy to give them to you. I'm going to give you my web, uh, my uh, email address, and then you can contact me, and I'll give you the details. Uh, my email address is N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y-1, and that's the number one, at gmail.com. Again, Nick, N-Y-N-Y-1, at gmail.com. Now, the Arantia book has now been translated into at least 22 languages with more on the way, and it's sold in bookstores worldwide. 
It's also sold on the Internet. Now, there's two websites I'd like to give you, uh, which is both amazing websites with a great deal of information about the Arantia book, and I highly recommend that you visit both. The first one is U-R-A-N-T-I-A-B-O-O-K dot O-R-G. And that's the fellowship website. It's, it's just been redesigned, and it is extraordinarily beautiful. Now, the other website that also has been redesigned and is also amazing is Urantia. That's U-R-A-N-T-I-A dot N-Y-C. So that's a more of a local uh, website for the people in this area. Okay, without further ado, my featured guest tonight on this podcast is a very good friend and colleague of mine, David Glass. David, again, a much wonderful welcome to you, sir. Thank you so much, Nick. It's delighted to be here and to be able to speak to people that might be interested in this whole area. From the introduction that uh, your host gave, it sounds like we're totally in line with the scope of ideas that they're interested in. Yes, yes. Now, um, what I'm going to do now just for our listeners is to give a very brief, and, and believe me, listeners, this is a very brief uh, idea about what David has been up to. Uh, he's a longtime reader of the Arantia book and has held many, many key positions serving in many different capacities so far in his life. I'm going to skip to uh, just the, the highlights here, one of which is that he has been instrumental in planning and actuating the Arantia book conferences in local, state, regional, national, and international levels, and get this, for over 40 years. Um, at most of these conferences, David has participated as well as making presentations, as well as leading workshops. Uh, he studied the Arantia book in Florida, Texas, Oregon, and now in New England. Uh, he lives in Connecticut. Right now he's moved there. He's been there a few years. Uh, he also has been the editor and co-worker on staff of the eminently successful Urantia book related magazine, The Circles. I want to talk to him about that. Also, he's been a delegate or an alternate to the TDA meetings of the General Council of the Fellowship. And that is quite an honor. Uh, David has been a key keenly interested in attending uh, and, not, and not only organizing and contributing to conferences of many diverse locations throughout America and in Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal. Uh, David served on the Fellowship's Publication Committee for a decade and maintained volunteer correspondence with inmate readers for many years, and that's another subject I hope that we can get into this evening. Um, as soon as uh, Urantia University became uh, factual, uh, David became active in the course development and instruction, uh, presenting some of the first classes to be offered throughout uh, on the uh, online university. So it's, it's online, and during the last decade since its inception, he has uh, continued to create new classes and to participate in the planning committee's bi-weekly two-hour meetings even as he is currently engaged in finalizing a new class, and that will be uh, opening up in the fall of 2020. Uh, last but certainly not least, in uh, January 2020, he was inducted as a brand-new member of the Arantia Society of Greater New York, uh, in which he now serves as a member of the Outreach Committee. David, you are one heck of a, a busy critter. 
<laughs> well, I found that the Arantia book, uh, it generates a uh, a sense of uh, opportunity and energy for involvement in uh, what it makes available. It's a it's a considerably uh, uh, is a huge text. I'm sure from uh, previous programs you've discussed it with other readers. Uh, you've probably mentioned that it's over 2,000 pages, so uh, it covers quite a lot of material, and you're bound to find something in it that you're interested in and want to run with. Well, I think that's an understatement, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, what I'd like to do just very quickly, David, is just do a little bit about your background, just to have the listeners know a little bit more about you. So if I may, uh, first of sure. all, I may ask uh, where you were born and raised. Right, in Atlanta, Georgia. I lived there oh. until I was uh, 10 years old uh, in in two places, on the very south side of Atlanta for the first five, and then the very north side, the other five. Ah, okay. And did you have uh, brothers and sisters? I have one younger sister. She's uh, four years younger. And uh, uh, we joke that I got the right brain because I've been interested in creativity in general, and she got the left brain if that's the you know, um, computational uh, concepts and especially technology. If I have a, if I need a geek, there's one in the family, my sister. Well, that sounds like a very good balance to me. <laughs> and also, just briefly about your mom and dad, just tell us just something about them, and also, were they spiritual at all? Uh, yes, mom and dad grew up in uh, uh, rural Texas, just uh, west of Waco, and uh, dad grew up Methodist, uh, my mother um, Baptist, but uh uh, uh dad well they they both been rather rather uh liberal in terms of uh, which denomination they uh belong to but they've pretty much stayed in the protestant part of christianity um uh, and um i myself grew up uh baptist uh, pretty much the first 10 years uh moving to orlando then uh we joined the Presbyterian Church. Some friends of ours were members there and and invited us. And then uh, when I moved over after I graduated from college, I was in another community. My dad was associated with the Methodist Church that he had grown up with, and I had some time associated with that. Yes. Uh -huh. Okay, very good. And just briefly, uh, your schooling, uh, where you studied? Uh, well, uh uh, actually, I was uh, uh, very blessed to have parents that were determined to provide some opportunities for me that they hadn't had. And so I, from kindergarten through fifth grade in Atlanta, I had uh, private schooling. Um, I had some public schooling in uh, in Orlando at 11th grade. I uh, had gone to a summer music camp in in uh, Michigan at the National Music Camp in Interlochen and happened to win a scholarship there to go to their boarding school for two years, the junior and senior year. So I graduated high school there. Uh, if you're interested mm -hmm. in college, then I went on to college in, in St. Petersburg at what was Florida Presbyterian College uh, associated with the church I was a member of in Orlando. It's, it has a different name now, but because, uh, uh, well, some of the um, 
funding and the trustees and so forth has has changed over the years since I graduated to such an extent that they've they've actually changed the name of the college. It's now Eckerd College, and uh, it's in, right in St. Petersburg, uh, walking distance to St. Pete Beach. Excellent, excellent. And also, let's go to the question I ask everyone uh, that I interview, and that is, how did you come first to be uh, associated with the Arranger Book? How did that happen? Uh, well, um, I had a year after graduation. Uh, by, by the time uh, I was, oh, a junior, I had serious uh, questions. I had some before that about different aspects of uh, the the uh, teach, religious teaching I grew up with. And mm-hmm. I wanted to know more, not only about Christianity, but other other religions. And, and also at that time, this was the early 70s, um, there was a vast inroad of um, information and uh, uh, material that you could study about Eastern religions as well as personalities uh, coming from the East to teach in America and uh, share their, their heritage and their their uh, traditions. So um, I got very interested in that. Uh, uh, and uh, it just uh, got broader and broader. And uh, somewhere in it, uh, someone told me, well, you ought to check out the Arantia book, too, while you're looking at everything. And I happened to find a book, uh, oh, about three weeks later, which is phenomenal. It was in no bookstores in the early 70s. happened to be hmm. in uh, California, where the, at that time, as far as I know, it was only in, available in Chicago, New York City, and this at San Francisco in California in the early uh-huh. 70s, but maybe uh, in some small metaphysical bookstores, you know, that, that I'd never heard of, didn't have any contact with, but that's all I ever, ever learned about. And uh, so that's how I found it, and I, I immediately reacted to it and started reading through the 2,000 pages, which took me about seven months to finish. Well, that's a, that's a record. I mean, were you studying by yourself then? Yes. Once I had an immediate uh, affinity for it, but uh, I really wanted to check it out thoroughly. Uh, and uh, it, since it's a book, you can do that privately with, without um, um, actually uh, um, being interviewed or interviewing anyone else. And uh, and get some idea of if you if this is uh, 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 harmonious with something that you feel like you want to pursue, or if somewhere in those 2,100 pages you find something you just cannot possibly accept, <laughs> you know you can think about it and see. Well, let's see, could that be true? Is that consistent with everything else in the book, and uh, and so forth? And and so I I didn't want to. Uh, Contact. The only contact I could find is the address that's in the front of the book in Chicago, the publishers and the uh, the, the, the Rancher Foundation. So I wanted to finish at least one reading of the book before I found out more uh, from them about the organization and, and what their goals and purposes were. Mm-hmm. Now, Which when I, I first got the book, um, what I did was I wanted to go to the table of contents and I combed the table of contents and looked for the subjects that I was most interested in. And I, I took a sampling of those, and then I went, okay, 
you got me. I've got to go to the page one and start. But did you go from page one all the way through the 2,000 pages, like just from the beginning uh, to the end? Is that how you did it? Yeah, actually I did. My, uh, I think I was um, uh, uh, kind of geared to approaching it that way because uh, although my – uh, almost all my education up to college had been in music. I was a, an English and literature major in, in college. And so uh, we had come to honor authors by, of course, reading uh, certainly a novel you would read from beginning to end. And uh, uh, just about every, since it was all, fic, you know, it wasn't nonfiction where you could jump around and read the topics you were interested in. Uh, I got used to reading, I, I got used to thinking that writers wrote things the way they did for a purpose, and they had organized them in that order. So I wanted to experience it that way. That's why I read from beginning to end. No, I have a question for you that I haven't asked anybody else, but I want to ask you this question. As you know, there were four major parts of the book, and the first part is relatively hard. It is not an easy read at all. And usually a lot of authors will start uh, kind of uh, mildly and build up. This was pretty much the opposite. They gave you very, very uh, interesting but difficult subjects to comprehend at the very beginning. Do you have any idea of why the authors did that? Um, well, I, it does um... – it does strike uh, the majority of new readers that way sometimes. I mean, I would say most most of the time. Um, to me, the first five papers are about the identity and the nature of God, or, or they, uh, they say actually the deity has never revealed himself or herself or itself uh, by name or gender or anything else. And mm -hmm. that anything you, that you could say about uh, this—they do say it's a personality. It's not an ab its an absolute personality, but it's not just an absolute, as uh, some religions hold that the final reality is absolute. But uh, I already had a concept of a personal God, and so I could relate to a lot of those concepts, and they didn't seem that difficult to me. And and going on from there, I was familiar with a trinity concept which had expanded enormously in the first 10 papers or chapters you could call them and then went on from there to uh, uh, describe the universe I was already somewhat interested in cosmology uh, if you know by that time Carl Sagan had presented his Cosmos show on TV which I had uh, taped on um, VHS and watched over and over and over and read his books, the ones as he wrote them, and become, mm -hmm. uh, uh, without being a scientist, become as interested, I think, <laughs> in the universe as he was, as passionate about it. Uh, but, you know, I didn't have the, the, anywhere near the scientific background. So that's, so the first part, which does look at these very large uh, ideas about God and the universe, were not off-putting to me. They were very welcome, and then I so I went. I didn't have a difficulty in that respect, uh, getting right into the beginning. What surprised you most about the book? May I ask? Hmm. Let's see. Um, 
I think the most uh, the most surprising and in a way the most valuable thing that I've learned uh, is that uh, with this huge, complex, multi-layered cosmic system that it describes, yes, which is not which is not um, it's not so vast that you feel lost in a, uh, in a, a system in which you are virtually and and on an anonymity, you know, a non non entity. Uh because one of the main principles of it is that each personality is unique and irreplaceable, part of the infinite design of uh, of the cosmos from the beginning, from before the beginning, if there were, you know, before time. Uh, and this is interesting too that there's a relationship between eternity and time. Eternity is not just a long, unending duration of time. It's a different relationship to sequentiality and so forth. But that, that you know we can't really conceive of it as they describe it. But they give us words to get a feel for it. But anyway, from that prior level. Uh, the con- the conceiver the co- the creator of what came after you could say after the big bang if you if that's your concept of of the universe um from before that level the concept of you your personality your uniqueness was in existence uh, uh it brought it came into being uh at the point of cosmic evolution when your your point in evolution was called for, and here you are uniquely related to the origin of it all. Um, so this means that um, if that's the basis of your religion and your being, if that's primary, then that transcends uh where you were born, what nationality you are, what religion you grew up in, what family you're in, you know, your your uh, relationship to the origin is stronger, vaster uh, than your uh, even your earthly relationships. Not that they're unimportant; they are your introduction to cosmic citizenship, and uh, they're essential and very important to your character development, your per- your first steps as a personality. Uh, but you have a destiny that relates to the total, and you have a unique contribution to make to that that whole plan that no one else was ever conceived to contribute. That was the most astounding and remains the most astounding concept I encountered in the book at uh, because of the value it puts on every individual. Well, well said, and it, it exactly does that. And as you know, it describes a vast, vast uh, universe, of seven super universes, and we are in one yeah. of them, in kind of the edge of edge of it, called something called we call it the Milky Way. And yeah. when you think of that concept of the vastness of all of that. And then you think that here we are on a little, really a little tiny planet on a little tiny sector of one of the super universes called the Milky Way. And that yeah. the book is saying you, you are important. You are a, a, a brother or sister uh, you, of, of the other creatures uh, that God made and that you have yeah. a, a place that you're valued. 
and that you are an individual and there's nobody else like you. Uh, yeah. And that just gives you an incredible feeling. I mean, I was just in yeah. awe when they started describing that. Yeah. Well, yeah that's a true. Um, right. And, um, uh, really, you can elaborate on it to an extent, but I'm sure we want to get to their points. But that, but I, you know, they could spill, I could fill up the program with the, the implications of that point. <laughs> well, you know, I, I told you at the beginning too that uh, when we before we went on uh, went on the uh, the, the internet that uh, David, right. you have such a vast contribution uh, you made throughout your life to the Rancher book that. Um, I just want to do an over an overview, uh, basically uh, tonight. Right. But uh, I want to definitely have you back uh, in uh, as, as certain as we can schedule you, and uh, have you back a few times because I want to go into some of the areas that you have been devoting your life to, and I think they're very very interesting, and I think our listeners would find that fascinating. So don't feel rushed at all because. You know, we're going to have a, a lot more time on this. I want to ask you also, uh, Dave, what did you find most difficult about the book? Was there anything in there or uh, in general? Is there anything you could tell us? Uh, yes. Um, it may be difficult to describe because it was so difficult. Uh, but uh, there is one one chapter, you might say. They call them papers. Um See, there are almost 200 of them in the book. So a little bit past halfway, number 106, describes, um, as we were saying, it's a multi-layered universe. universe. Uh, oh, and I, I think I caught a, uh, a feeling for that in, in uh, our host's uh, description of what the Pride of Olympus is about, uh, uh, a multi-layered universe. Uh, uh, a nature of reality, uh, and that metaphysical means beyond the physical. And of course, there there could be levels beyond what we conceive of as metaphysical now, and meta, 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 and so forth. Well, that paper describes it's called universe levels of reality. To me, that that uh, there are two other papers that lead up to that, and then that is the most, to me, challenging in terms of concept and. Um, Vastness of of uh, to re, to get a grasp on intellectually, and then if you wanted to relate to it personally, uh, that you do that kind of subjectively. And uh, but uh, the idea is that we we're on we would say the finite level, and we come into it uh, just barely. You know, we're we're uh, we're the intelligent animal. We at least we think we are, and we've been told by our friends who wrote the Rancher book that that we are. Uh, we're we're able, we're capable of self consciousness. We're aware that we're aware. We can think about our thoughts, uh, which, uh, so far as we know, because we can't converse with animals, uh, the unique animals that uh, you know on this planet anyway, and. Uh, uh, they're saying that when any animal becomes self-conscious like that on any planet, it becomes a primitive human. And from that point, that's the that's the entry point of the finite level, the the most basic of the seven levels. And then they range up to infinity. 
<laughs> so, you know, uh, from finite to infinity, they just have names. They're only names because we can only really relate to the finite. The the level above that is the perfected finite, which hasn't happened yet, and we can't really relate to it. It's just a sort of an end point of finite evolution. But there, then you would say, what, uh, uh, that's two levels and four more above that and then, then infinity beyond that, which even beings on the, say, sixth level couldn't conceive of the infinite seventh level because their concept capacity wouldn't extend to that. So we've given these levels or these concepts to work with, and I don't think they're given with any sense of of this being really useful to anything but like philosophy or giving you concepts for for the sake of concepts as humans and the idea that uh, there is a uh, there are many levels to reality and uh, uh, so but that I always returned to that paper over and over and over uh, during the first certainly during the first decade or two I was reading the book to push the envelope, see how much further into those uh, several sections of that that paper or chapter I could uh, comprehend another sentence, another paragraph, you know, or get a feel for what it would be like the next time I tried to understand it. <laughs> right, and uh, I think all readers have a sentence or a quote or something in the book that just so stands out to them that they carry that in their heart, and sometimes they'll uh, share that with, with yes, someone else. Well, is there, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure there are many, but is there any anything that you can think of in the book that you... Yes, you, uh, yes there actually okay. is one, and it's, it's completely different from the philosophic and conceptual uh, framework I just described. This is a very personal, experiential part of your experience as a being uh, quality and... Uh, I would say is this it's one sentence love is the outworking of the divine and inner urge of life so to me that's saying that love is the dynamic which which brings about and sustains and attracts all life all vitality uh, uh we can we can see love Love some, you know, uh, on on in mammals and and even sub mammal groups, mm-hmm. but it takes on a, a particular nature uh, when it gets to our level. When we uh, we're said to be personal creatures, that is, we can relate to a personal deity and to all the other intervening personalities on all levels of universe of the universe in between. Uh, if love is a dynamic. Then that it's the love attraction of the of God or the deity, and the fact that the idea that's that's told to us in the book that the love of God can't be anything less than infinite. Uh, he he's not capable of downstepping that, uh, but that would entirely blow us away. So we have to um, uh, grow into that. We never will be able to completely experience that because. Uh, uh, it's it's just uh, we you know I I I take that as a given that I can I can grant that as an evolutionary being I want to keep growing and I could and if there is such a thing as infinity and eternity and those are real 
I will always be approaching it, just like a calculus process gets closer and closer to a straight line but never becomes, never touches it. Uh, but in, throughout that dynamic, it's an increase in the experience of love, the uh, bestowing of love upon your brothers and sisters, the reflection of love back to the deity and to the universe, which is very, you know, it's better than friendly. It's uh, It wants to promote your evolution and progress through this life and the eternity that that uh, stretches out after that. And, uh, so that sentence seems to epitomize and hold that for me. Love is the outworking of the divine and inner urge of life. That's so beautiful. That's not to say that everything in the universe, pardon Yes, go ahead. That's just so beautiful. And uh, that yeah. I think that the limitless love that is expressed throughout the Urantia book is just daunting. It is, it is so, it's palpable. You just, you feel it every, yeah. almost every page. You feel the caring right. and the love that's going into that. Uh, that, that just struck yeah. me right away when I started reading the book of I am in the and right un- place. Unfortunately, on that note, we have to wind up. Uh, we have one more segment. Thank you so very much, Nick, and thank you, David. David, I sent you a friend request on uh, Facebook. Uh, I'd love to hear Wonderful. more of uh, your ongoing adventures in the spiritual universe. Well, certainly. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, there's, a, I, I have uh, no danger of exhausting what the arrangement has to offer. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, I just encourage anyone to... Uh, Explore what it has to say because it can relate to anyone uh, and they can relate to it on any level they want to encounter it and embrace it. David, you've and been such a wonderful much. guest. And thank, thank you, you so much again for, be, for being my guest tonight. And uh, we're going to have you back. We're going to check your schedule and we'll definitely do that. And we'll get into other parts of your amazing service for the Arantia Book. Uh, this is Nick Curdle for the Arantia Book, wishing you all an enlightened journey. Until next time, please explore the limitless love of the Arantia book. Stay safe and be kind to one another. Goodbye for now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you very much.
of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. Oh, lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Deep within this darkened hall, hear the goddess Keridwen call. Come and taste of the cauldron's brew and magic. Will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. You're the cauldron born, cauldron born. Pride of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus. Pride of Olympus is our Merkaba, our sun chariot, our celestial barge, the wheels within wheels shamanic vehicle that facilitates our journeys to the astral realms of Gaia's world tree. Pride of Olympus is our metaphorical vehicle for exploring various thematically related but seemingly different approaches concerned with explaining our human origins guiding our human development, and actualizing our maximal potential. Pride of Olympus supports all of humanity's efforts to transcend this world and venture forth into the great beyond, be they metaphysical, mechanical, or even imaginal. And like all astral conveyances, Pride of Olympus can and does assume many forms, including that of this podcast. And now, without further ado, we go to Gabriel's Worldwide Religion of Love, hosted by Diane Duncan. Michael cannot join us today, and he'll be missed. Um, but Diane will certainly inform, enlighten, and entertain us as she explains to us uh, a way that we can meet the celestials through her speaking. Greetings and welcome. How are you, Diane? Well, I'm very well. Thank you, Hercules. <laughs> it's a beautiful night. If you look up at the sky, you will see Venus and the moon in conjunction. Wow. And they're just gorgeous, and they're just a few degrees apart from uh, each other in the constellation of Aries. <laughs> wow. Venus. Venus is the planet. The Gabriel and his beautiful consort Venus are actually ruling the planet Venus, bringing us all the beautiful worldwide religion of love. And uh, Gabriel is now running the show, I'll tell you that. (laughs) That is extremely awesome. And uh, through your channeling, through your contact uh, with the Celestials, we've learned so much of what is going on behind the scenes. And uh, it's been a very exciting and illuminating journey. Well, it really has. Um, Before I begin sharing some of the intimate knowledge that I've gained from the Celestials, um, 
since I don't have Michael here, uh, my son Alexander is just going to tell you just for a minute what he's been studying about celestials. Yes, Alex, will you get your paper? Alex is 14 years old now, and he is joining me in this wonderful um, exploratory journey of who the celestials really are. And he found one for me. Uh, he loves the the uh, the land of Japan. Now I don't know why, but he is uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying exploring it. And he found that there were many statues in Japan that had a red scarf around the neck placed by mothers in Japan, and a little red cap on the statue. And there are thousands of these shrines. Millions, excuse me. <laughs> he says millions. I think there's probably thousands. But uh, uh, Alexander found that he thinks that this statue is blessed and inspired by Gabriel because Gabriel is the god of the newborn, the unborn, and um, the, the, the child that is miscarried. And so... He came to me with the pictures of Jizo, that they call it in Japan, and I asked, and they said, indeed, that Gabriel flows through those statues to try and heal the mothers that have lost children, newborns, through miscarriage or uh, abortion even, or uh, illness after death. So uh, he's going to read you a list of the celestials that he is studying right now. And uh, so he's trying to help me find uh, more and more out about all the celestials, not just in the Greek and the Roman and our Western Hemisphere. So here's his list. Alexander, will you tell us? Welcome, Alex. Thank you. Okay. Want me to read off this list? Sure. So, from what I know, um, there is Dakuku, Ebisu, Fukuroku, Hotai, Benzaiten, Joyuljin, Bishomen. That's all I pretty much know right now. Okay. Can you um, tell us a little bit more about them? Uh, so... I found these conveniently um, in a book about um, the famous artist Hokusai, if you've ever seen the Great Wave painting at all, like the one with the wave and the boats and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I found a book uh, of his art, and I was looking through it, and I found these. And later on, I started actually talking to them and who they were. And it turns out they're 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 like celestials, but they're kind of on the verge of being them, essentially. Okay. So, um I talked to them for a while and well, I figured out that they've got their own message. Wow. <laughs> they they have their own message. <laughs> so yeah, what would that message be? <laughs> huh? <laughs> what would that you know, message what's, be? Uh, yeah, what's interesting about all this, though, is that 
these uh, immortals and some of these uh, Japanese and Chinese names for their celestials actually have um, uh, been inspired by the ones that I'm talking to, too. Uh, now, we have a Yushi in Chinese, but I'm told that's Hestia in the Greek, and her okay. mother is Rhea, the Holy Mother. And, you know, these... these um, Chinese gods and goddesses, they also uh, talk about the planet Venus. They say it's actually the planet Venus that Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism come from. And so there is a relationship. This whole universe, this whole world is all connected. The gods are flowing through all of the nations of our planet. It's flowing through all of the religions These celestials are known by so many different names. And this is why tonight, um, since Michael is not here, I thought that I would try and share a few more uh, things about the celestials that I talk to almost every day. Awesome. And I want to tell our readers, um, my name is Diane Duncan, and I am an interfaith minister And I'm not only that, but I actually have talked to the gods that I'm going to be telling you about. I actually talk to them. They actually talk to me. I do see them. And it is the most glorious experience of my life. This never happened before December 19th, 2013. And this was the afternoon that I finally began my journey talking and believing that they are real. And that's why I'm here tonight, to tell everyone else that they really do exist. They can really talk to you. They really look like a person. They really feel like a person and touch like a person. And this is what I'm trying to get my message across about. Um, This afternoon of December the 19th, many years ago now, 13, since 2013, this is 2020, all of a sudden I was just, you know, dusting in my bedroom and my bureau, and my right eye went black, and there was a zigzag in the middle of my forehead, and my left eye was open to the most beautiful being I've ever seen, a being that I've grown to love to be inspired by, to be helped, to be healed, uh, everything you could possibly imagine, and I never, ever want to be away from that being. That being, I was told, was our creator son. Now, this is a term that our listeners may not have heard of. Uh, In the Arantia book, and the Arantia book is a book that I believe in, uh, love, cherish, and have identified with to to a great degree. Uh, This creator's son, in Greek, is called Zeus. In the Arantia book, he is called uh, Michael of Nebadon. He is called the local universe father. But he is magnificent. When I saw him, he was so beautiful. He had long, blonde, curly, wavy hair to his shoulders, Real turquoise eyes, not just blue turquoise. They're turquoise. 
I can tell you right now, the God of this universe has turquoise eyes. (laughs) 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 And he is um, the most beautiful God. He was surrounded by rays the first time I saw him. I have counted about that he probably had almost 30, but I've actually only counted 20 because his form and his gown hid a number of them. But I have 20 that I've counted, and they're all different colors. Uh, Yellow is, well, no, dark gold is the first one. The second one was yellow, light gold, uh, cream white, dark gold, white, light gold, cream white, light gold, dark gold, yellow. And it goes on until it reaches 20. And I am doing a painting of this to show people that these rays came out from him, and they were very thick. Because wow. you're only talking about 30 rays going around a whole person, you know, coming out from the head and the shoulders. And I only am talking of to about the waist because he was behind a table. So they were quite wide, several inches, some of them. So this was the first person that I saw that is a celestial that we in our scriptures call Christ. Uh, He Mm -hmm. then uh, went behind the table, stood up, and was with a beautiful female angel. And I've learned since that she is the local universe mother from the Arantia book. She was, of course, gorgeous, (laughs) beautiful blonde. Um, But the, the, the people, or I say people, the persons behind them that were talking to them, and I watched them talk to each other. I watched them for a long time. I was fully awake and conscious. I cannot say what any of them looked like because it was like hazy and dark. The room was dark. I was all of a sudden taken to where they were, and it was dark. But I saw them perfectly. But the 40 that were behind them and talking to them, uh, I could not make anything out except just a little bit of a feature, and the room was so dark. So the first person I'm talking about is the first person I saw in my life, my whole life. I've talked to angels all my life, but this was the first person that ever talked back to me, and I mean in a conversation way. I, I've mm-hmm. always talked to angels, but but this was like you and me, Hercules, if you were here right now talking to me. Yes, so, and I've had these experiences myself. I know that they're they're phenomenally real and uh, uh-huh. they're very powerful and transformative. Yes, yes. Um, the Urantia book talks about him uh, a great deal, and I hope that people will uh, look up the Urantia book and read about the Creator Son, the local universe. I call him Father because in the Urantia book they call him the local universe. Uh, son, the um, mm-hmm. but he does not like that. He says, "I am a father, and you call me father." So I call him the local universe father, as he wishes. Um, now his new job, which is very interesting in the Arantia book, and I'm sure people would enjoy this, and Nick would too. I'm sure he is going to be creating the new universes, the new universes in the four outer space levels. And he's going to be helped by the Infinite Mother. That would be his aunt in the Greek, Tethys. 
mm-hmm. and his um, uncle, um, Oceanus, and they raised his consort, his beautiful bride, the local universe mother, Tethys, the infinite mother, and her husband, Oceanus. And they also raised many of the the uh, people in or persons, celestials, in the Arantia book uh, that are not talked about only, not specifically with a name, but uh, Venus, Aphrodite, uh, a lot of the goddesses were raised by Tethys and Ocean Oceanus, who are the infinite mother and father in the Arantia book. So I want to also mention so that people understand that we have called these same gods different names throughout history. Right. I've just I've just learned, and I didn't. Uh, well, I have known this for a little while, but it just never really hit me. But I don't know if you've ever heard of Shamash. Yes. Shamash. Now, because of the vowel system that we uh, have a problem with. No one really knows whether it's pronounced Shamash, S-H-A-M-A-S-H, or whether it's S-H-E-M-E-S-H, with the E, Shemesh. Now, I've asked him, I've asked the horse's mouth, so to speak, (laughs) and he says he loves to be called that name. He does not mind being called that name, but it um, it would be more appropriate to have it S-H-E. M-E-S-H, Shemesh. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, Maybe, Hercules, you could do a little um, looking up for me and find out how that would be a little better, make it easier for me to understand. So he is, um, yeah, he is a god that was flowing through um, from probably 2000 B.C. uh, in Iraq or some of these countries, uh, Shemesh. And also I want to mention, too, that I have books on all of the archaeological discoveries in the land of Israel. And there they have a picture of one they call Yahweh, but also with his Asherah. And, of course, if you look at that word Asherah, who do we have? We have (laughs) A-S-H-E-R-A. And of course, I, it's Hera. I didn't notice that before. Thank you. <laughs> yes, of course. It's our beautiful Hera, who is the local universe mother, and who was the second person that I saw uh, that just absolutely blew my mind because they were actually persons. They were celestials, but you could actually talk to them, see them. They have eyes, they have mouths, they have beautiful hair. They are real. They are really there. Now, they personify in this way, and, of course, I have no knowledge of whether uh, they personify that way to others, but this is how they came to me. Okay. So, yeah, so we have Yahweh that he says he has been called, and his beautiful concert, Ash Hera, and, of course, Hera is kept for the Greek. We have him being called uh, the local universe father, which we want to say. And, of course, uh, the great god Zeus and his beautiful wife Hera in the Greek. There are so many other names that he calls himself and have had people call him. But he gave us a personal name, Hercules, and he said, you can call my personal name 
of Caesar, the supreme ruler. And so personally, like I call you Hercules, or if you have a nickname, he wants us to call him Caesar, supreme ruler, supreme ruler of all. So that's the first one that we have met and that has been so uh, so important to me. And, of course, the beautiful Hera, his beautiful bride. Mm-hmm. Now, the next one I wanted to um, show you. I'm just going to get along here in the book. I'm looking at my book of drawings because I do a drawing of every celestial that I see. Yes, you do, and they're, and they're very evocative. They're, they're awesome drawings. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. Um, we had a meeting not too long after I met everyone, of um, the, the two, the local universe father and mother, but we had a meeting, and the 40, but we had a meeting with four what they called themselves Melchizedeks. Now, what I found out, though, about them later, much later, were the different names that were put to them. And I'll give those to you. Okay. The first one was, in the Rancho book, who we call the Universal Father. And he is in the Rancho book with that name, but in the Greek they called him Uranus. And he, with his concert Gaia, uh, ruled the Greek world and, of course, then their grandson Zeus and Hera. But he is a very interesting character because I'm seeing him with kind of red hair and Mm -hmm. kind of blue-green eyes. And he's um, generally in the picture that I did with him at first, it was a very serious picture. He was with his two sons. Um, They are called Iapetus, son of Uranus, and Hyperion. Mm -hmm. And then a grandson who is called Pluton. And he has some interesting names, too. So first, I'll talk about um, Hyperion. Hyperion is uh, with black hair, which is very unusual. I have not seen a celestial very often with dark hair. But he has black hair and blue eyes. Uh, Hyperion is going to be very important, Hercules, in the magisterial mission, but after it is finished. He is going to be the god with his beautiful consort, Thea, who I have also seen. Has done, she's done many meetings for us that have been so beautiful and gracious. But Hyperion and Thea will be the new rulers of this earth, this planet. And it will be them that will give the name to this planet. It will no longer be called Earth, but Hyperion and Thea will be naming it. So that will be very exciting, but that will not be until 2022, after the worldwide religion of love has finally been put out to the world and with a new name, this Earth. So, and let me let you know that uh, um, that love has been coming up uh, uh, a lot in a lot of the different groups that I deal with, and uh, 
um, the, the goddess Aphrodite or Venus, as she's sometimes yes. called. Um, she's been popping up, and uh, recently we had our theurgy forum, where people who follow the ancient ways. Oh, um, nice. They were also saying that uh, Aphrodite was uh, being very active, and she wants us to love more. Uh, so yeah. your message is starting to uh, spread through the mouths of many people who are connected with uh, uh, the invisible. So I just wanted to let oh, you know that. How beautiful. Well, Venus... Uh, beautiful Venus will be coming in yellow. You know, it's coming very, very soon. March the 20th will be the time when she will be coming. She will be visiting every church, every synagogue, every temple, every worship place, every home that prays to her. And she will be going through all of these temples and places of worship for two years until 2022 and she will be able to be seen by those who are able to see her and who are there she will be incarnating for two years at the end of that period she and her beautiful consort gabriel who is hephaestus um oh now i can't say his name hephaestus would you say it's hephaestus or what what would you say hephaestus hephaestus Beautiful Gabriel. Oh, beautiful Gabriel. Thank you. And to let you know, too, that the Uh island where I'm from, Rimnos, is where Ephesus made his home. And the fire from heaven that Prometheus stole, he stole from Ephesus's uh, uh, forge (laughs) where he made the the things of the gods. So, uh, it's a humanity. (laughs) Well, he and Venus do, of course, rule the planet Venus. Um, He is, of course, um, with her, going to bring truth. He is the spirit of truth. He works with the local universe mother who works through the father to bring truth, the spirit of truth to the world and to the universe. And then Venus will bring the love. So I'm really looking forward to March 20th, the very special day, and that's just this year. That's March 20th, 2020. We've been waiting for that for many years, and it's finally here. (laughs) So that will be very exciting. Um, I want to mention, too, that we had a meeting with, um, well, she first came with her name of Della, but we found out later that she is Artemis and Diana, who is sister of Apollo, daughter Mm -hmm. of Zeus and Leto. So her personal name, she said, was Della, and then she uncovered the different names that have flown through the cultures and in our world, the Greek and Roman and so forth. She's adorable with long, crinkly hair, green (laughs) eyes, blonde hair, and she's got the most precious smile. Um, She's precious, and she came with Corinth. Now, Corinth was her personal name. But she is actually called Hestia in the Greek. And she's the sister of Zeus, the eldest daughter of Cronus and Rhea. And she's called in the Roman Vesta and in the Greek, of course, um, the Hestia, which I said at the beginning. But those two, those two brought in a whole uh, 25 celestial group of celestial musicians. Um, Hestia is a violinist. And Della is a soprano, a singer. 
and they brought this whole group in, and I didn't know who they were in the beginning. We only knew they were musicians. But eventually we learned one was Apollo, who gave us the first name of Aaron. He is a musician, an organist, just like St. Germain, and a composer. So, you know, each, and always oh, so gorgeous. That's the other thing. You see all these beautiful statues of Apollo everywhere. Well, yeah. Aaron is gorgeous. Aaron is gorgeous. I have to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know we don't have very much longer, so I can't go too much further um, today, but uh, I just wanted to begin begin telling everyone a little bit about these uh, these gods that they are real uh, I know the very one of the last ones that we've had has been uh, called Mercury he prefers to be called Hermes though and yes. he has long straight red hair he has a very angelic face big eyes uh, really just so wide and big beautiful kind of red gold hair um, now, he is a poet and a seeker of truth. He's very gentle, very gentle, very soft. Um, actually, in the Scandinavian, he is called Odin or Voden. We get Wednesday from him. Uh, he's Mercury, yeah. of course, and Hermes, but he prefers Hermes. Now, I want to tell you something special about him. Uh, he is one of the last uh, archangels uh, that I have met, and he is actually the archangel Raphael. Now, this was a real shock to me because I am just now learning that so many of the Greek gods were then given uh, names of angels. And this is yeah. really becoming uh, very interesting to me. Uh, I attend my husband's church, where he is a cantor, head cantor, and there is a life-size, life-size statue of Raphael. And now I know that he is Hermes in the Greek and Roman, um, Mercury and Hermes. And this is just a fascinating thing that if only people could understand that here you have a celestial, but depending on where in the world he is worshipped, or what language they speak, he has a different name. So um, in our scriptures, he's the archangel Raphael. And um, I must say, I haven't had a lot of uh, interaction with him, but the interaction that I've had has been most fascinating. Uh, One more before I go, and I know I only have a few minutes. Um, I do want to mention uh, Poseidon. Now, Poseidon is Emmanuel in the Arantia book. In the Arantia book, um, the local universe father has an elder um, brother. And the elder brother of Zeus is Poseidon, and the elder brother of the local universe father is, of course, Emmanuel. They are the same. So Poseidon is Emmanuel in the Rancho book, Emmanuel of Salvington, that's the name. He's called a union of days, and he represents the Trinity. He represents the local universe. Uh, He represents sometimes the universal father, and that is, of course, um, Uranus. Now, Zeus's eldest brother, that's Poseidon, counsels the local universe rulers when Zeus is away, 
or we'll say the local universe first father is away. So there are uh, 611,121 union of days assigned to Nebadon in the local universe. So he is one of them. He is one of the union of days. So I just wanted to mention him and also to say that he has given me some personal uh, advice and personal meetings here in the home with my son, Alexander, uh, pertaining to Alexander's future in the world and in the world for us, for Michael and I. And I've really appreciated his personal uh, help in that. Um, He is uh, a gentleman very, very slim, uh, he's like the local universe father, uh, Zeus. Zeus is so slim, Hercules. He's so slim. Yes, he has a long face, long nose, and he's just wispy thin. But he's tall. Uh, Zeus is probably at least six foot three, uh, as far as his representation to me when I saw him. I'm only five two, so when I came up to him, uh, he was quite a bit taller. <laughs> But uh, on that but, note, we need to wrap up. Uh, yes, we of will course. continue this conversation uh, again, and uh, yes. um, I'm looking forward to all the new things that uh, develop because it's a very interesting um, uh, saga that's unfolding, and I'm glad that you guys are recording it. How can people go to your YouTube uh, page and learn more yes, about all the Oh, thank you so much. Yes, if they would like to see some of the pictures of the Celestials as I have seen them, and again, how they are represented to others, I do not know, but I see them in in the way, um, you know, I'm not trying to be a great artist, but I'm trying to show people a little bit how they look. Uh, all you would have to do for the YouTube channel is, uh, our number is Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and A-N-D, Diane, D-I-A-N-N-E, Duncan, D-U-N-K-I-N. And you have us. <laughs> We're up there. We have over 85. Um, wow. Uh, yes, we really do. <laughs> videos and we're just really excited about them but what is the most remarkable thing is that this worldwide religion of love is actually coming really rapidly now we're almost to march and march 20th we will be having a celebration now i want to tell everyone one more thing if i have one more minute um just one second Go ahead. We have exactly a minute. We have two. We have two celestials that are coming on Saturday. Two new Buddhas, um, and they are Crocia and Dusiel, and they will be joining us and joining our family of celestials. So we will be having a ceremony and welcoming them at two o'clock on this Saturday, the 29th. So if everyone wants to pray to the local universe father and mother. Uh, On Saturday at 2 o'clock, we will all be gathering with them to welcome two new Buddhists to our home. Thank you very much, Diane. Thank you, Alex. (laughs) And uh, give my love to Michael. I will see you again very soon. Uh And thanks to all who joined us from home. Until next time, this is all of us wishing you joyous journeys, amazing adventures, and lots of love in your life. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Diane.
Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Thank you.